morning. Good morning. It is good, 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 good to be with y'all. If you want to take a quick seat. All right. So welcome. It's, it's good to be with you guys. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I'm uh, the pastor here at Veritas Dayton. Uh, we are very, very glad that you are here. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, beginning our series uh, on the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab the uh, white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to page 565. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. It's our gift to you. Um, all right, so this is our first Sunday uh, in a somewhat lengthy sermon series uh, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, and, and I simply want to begin it by saying this, I, I believe that this letter can change your life. Um, that it can change your life. I, I, know, I know this personally because uh, as this particular letter from Paul actually changed the trajectory of my family's life when my father gr- was gripped by this message, uh, uh, the message of this letter years ago when I was just a wee lad. Um, but then also in church history, we would, uh, we, we would uh, see uh, the, the, uh, the reality that, that church history bears witness to the power of what's proclaimed in this letter. Uh, Martin Luther was a pastor in the 16th century, and he wrote a commentary on this particular letter. And, and in my mind, I, I believe in my estimation, that's one of the most important books written in church history. Uh, th- this man was so firmly gripped uh, by what was proclaimed in this book. Uh, in fact, Luther's wife, her name was Catherine von Bora. And Luther used to say, Paul's letter to the Galatians is my Catherine von Bora. Galatians is my, my bride, my sweet and precious bride, and rightly so. The contents of this letter addressed uh, many of the things that Luther was dealing with in his day. Uh, at the time, the church had forgotten the gospel, forgotten Christ and his work on the cross, forgotten uh, about the authority of the Bible, um, but the Lord so graciously opened Luther's eyes to the beauty of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. And he was so freed from the legalism and the false gospel that the church was preaching at the time because of the message proclaimed in this letter. It, it literally changed history. Uh, the Lord used this small town nobody preacher that was so radically transformed by what's proclaimed in this letter that he used this guy to call the church back to himself and to the gospel. This is, this is what was called, this event was called the Protestant Reformation. And part of the reason that we're looking at this letter this year is because the Reformation took place fi- exactly 500 years ago. Uh, on October 31st of 1517, the Protestant Reformation began with Luther nailing a piece of paper to the castle church door in Wittenberg that called out the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope for the anti-biblical practices of the church and the false gospel that was being preached. But that was only the beginning. What followed was a recovery of the gospel declared here in Paul's letter to the Galatians that we are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so we want to we look at this particular letter for the majority of the year here to celebrate that recovery, to celebrate the power of the gospel, and to be transformed by the power of the gospel 
We'll talk about some of the stories from the Reformation. We'll quote many of the men and women that were influential in the Reformation to remind ourselves that we're standing on the shoulders uh, of, of those uh, great men and women of the faith. And we've received this legacy from the work of the Holy Spirit in and through them in their day and time. And so we want to begin by digging into Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Uh, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. And we want to listen with reverence and joy, for this is the voice of our Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to behold your glory now in the face of Jesus Christ? Would you help us to behold the bloody and gruesome cross of Christ? Would you uh, accompany the truth preached with the power of your spirit to draw us to repentance, to uh, deepen our trust in you? And for those who haven't repented and haven't trusted in you initially, would you grant repentance? Would you give them trust in you here this morning? God, uh, we, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that, um, Lord, apart from your grace, we are dead in sin and enslaved to sin. And that's why we're so thankful for grace this morning. Grace that, that not only makes salvation possible, but grace that actually, powerfully, effectually saves. Lord, would you help us to receive your word, to submit to your word, to believe your word, and to obey your word here this morning. And we need you in order to do that. Would you let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So this book of the Bible uh, that we call Galatians is what is referred to as an epistle, uh, which is just a fancy word for letter. Uh, this book is a letter. And just like all letters that were sent at, at this particular time and place in which it was sent, uh, it has a very basic structure. It has a greeting and then the body of the letter and then a farewell. And so naturally, uh, as we are going to preach through this letter, we're going to start where the letter starts, with the greeting. And this particular greeting is very telling. Uh, on the one hand, it's a greeting like any other. Uh, it, it says who the letter's from, and it says who the letter's to, and then it gives a formal kind of salutation. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you, you can tell that this letter is written with urgency and fervency. There's something going on here that we need to be aware of if we are indeed going to understand the nature and the content of this particular letter. 
Uh, this letter is what is called uh, an occasional epistle, uh, and, and that doesn't mean that it was sent uh, every once in a while on, on occasion. Uh, rather, it means that there is a particular occasion that required this letter to be written and sent, uh, and the greeting lets us in a bit on what that occasion is, which will be necessary for us uh, to be aware of as we unpack the letter in, in, in the months to come. So look with me, this is the kind of big idea, look with me at how the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Galatians about the mess they're in with a message of grace and peace. And we'll unpack that in three stages. First, the messenger. Second, the mess. Third, the message. First, the messenger. Uh, we need to do some, some proper introductions here. Verse 1 begins with the word Paul. Uh, so who is Paul? Uh, now, I'm, I'm of a mind that if you want to get to know somebody, uh, probably one of the best things you can do is hear their story. And so let's take a quick look at Paul's story. Uh, one of the things that we need to know about Paul is that his name wasn't always Paul. Paul used to be called Saul, and Saul was a very respected religious leader in the Jewish community. Uh, he sat on leadership councils. He was a Pharisee. He learned at the feet of a very uh, prominent Jewish leader and teacher of the day named Gamaliel. Uh, in the Jewish community of that day, Saul would have had a rep that anyone would have been jealous of. Uh, in Philippians 3.5, Paul actually says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, the, the, he was the, the best Hebrew there was. He was the best Jew that there ever was. His zeal for God's law given through Moses and for the Jewish people and for having a righteous standing before God would have been second to none. And because of this, Saul hated Christians. Uh, the first time that we meet Saul in the scriptures is in Acts 8, where we see him overseeing and approving of the execution of Stephen. He was a deacon. Stephen was a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. And then that execution was just the beginning. From there, there arose a great persecution against the church, and it was led by none other than Saul. Um, but if you keep reading in Acts into the next chapter after Acts 8, you'll also see uh, a very interesting story about Saul as he's walking down the road to Damascus. Uh, as Saul is ravaging the church, he gets permission from the Jewish authorities. <coughs> excuse me. He gets permission from the Jewish authorities to go to a city called Damascus and arrest any Christians that he finds there. Uh, and as he's traveling on his way, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus comes down and physically appears to him. Jesus appears to Saul and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, blinded by the light of Christ's glory, he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. And so Saul is blinded, he can't see, he is led to Damascus by those traveling with him. And there in Damascus, there's a man named Ananias. And Jesus tells Ananias to go to Saul and speak with him about the gospel. And basically, Ananias goes, man, are you, are you sure I've heard about this dude? He is a bad dude. I don't think that I should go speak to him. I don't know if this is a good idea. But Jesus says to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
And so Jesus says, this man is mine. I've chosen him. I've chosen him so that he might preach my name to the Gentiles and kings and the nation of Israel. But he's going to suffer. He's, he's going to suffer for me. And we'll see a bit on that later on in Galatians. And so Ananias goes to Saul. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and he preaches the gospel to him, and he baptizes him. And immediately, Paul goes to these Jewish religious gatherings in Damascus. They're called synagogues. And he starts proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. So Saul was, was absolutely rocked by God's grace. He was transformed from being a persecutor and a murderer of Christians to being one who boldly preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. God takes this broken and angry and murderous man, this thug who persecutes God's people, and he gives him the highest level of leadership in the church. He makes him an apostle, and he, he has him write the majority of what we call our New Testament. Paul is an apostle. The next two words of our text are an apostle. So Paul is an apostle. Uh, but what is an apostle? Uh, well, the word just literally means like one who is sent. Uh, but the way that we see this word often used throughout the New Testament is as a title of a particular office or role in the church. Uh, we could define that role this way. Apostles are those directly installed by Jesus to oversee the establishment of and to exercise authority over the new covenant church and to write the New Testament scriptures. And you can see that in the terms to remember in your bulletin. And so they are those that Jesus Christ directly installs. The role of apostle is not one that a church or a ministry or denomination or pastor, anyone but Jesus himself can give. And Jesus does not use someone through him to, to give this role. He, 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 this is why the apostle Paul says, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so pastors, church planters like me, we're given this role by Jesus through churches and other leadership within those churches. But Paul and the apostles in the New Testament are given this role directly from Jesus Christ himself. It's not one given uh, from men. It's not even given through men, although the other apostles are, are willing to vouch for Paul which is and uh, his legitimacy as an apostle. That's why he adds in verse 3 here, and all the brothers who are with me, these brothers are the other apostles, the 12 men mentioned in the New Testament, like Peter and John and the others. Jesus directly places those men in this role in order to oversee the establishment of the church, to exercise Christ's delegated authority over his church, and to write the New Testament scriptures. So no one has this, this role today. No one has this type of authority that the apostles had uh, in the New Testament in the church today. And so Paul mentions he's an apostle, and what that is supposed to mean, uh, and what that is supposed to do to the Galatians when they read this letter, and now when we read this letter, is to let us know that the following words that we're about to read in this letter are spoken with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, the pastors in the Galatian churches would have been reading this letter out loud to the congregation when they gathered on a Sunday morning like this. And when these words are read, Paul, an apostle, uh, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ, that would have let everyone in the room know the words that we are about to read are to be regarded as the words of Jesus Christ himself. 
They are words that we submit to, not words that we weigh and figure out if we agree with them or not. They're they're not words that we weigh in order to see if we want to obey them or not. These are the words of God himself spoken through his chosen instrument, Paul the Apostle. And can I just say one thing that strikes me about all this? This man was a murderous thug. This man terrorized the church. He oversaw the arrest and imprisonment of many Christians. And not only that, but also the brutal murder of Christians as well. And he's here writing to this church with great care and affection and love for them, a people that he once tried to destroy. And not only that, he's writing to them so passionately so that they will not abandon the message of the gospel, the message that he once tried to destroy. And he's writing to them because of his passion for the glory of God, the God he once hated. Church, that's the power of the cross. The the hardest, the, the coldest heart can be softened and warmed by the power of the cross. The vilest of sinners can be children of God through the power of the cross. This terrorist Saul is transformed into a messenger for the faith he once tried to destroy. And so, my friends, I I I I would tell you, don't ever write anyone off as being too hardened to the gospel. Or is being too far gone. The cross is the power of God to take sinners, to transform their hearts, and to cover them in the righteousness of Jesus. The cross is the power of God to take murderers and terrorists and drug dealers and thugs, and you name it, and make them into children of our Father in heaven. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're wondering if you're too far gone. If you're too vile, if you're too weak, there's, there's good news for you. Jesus Christ is the friend and Savior of sinners. If you would leave your sin and come to him, complete freedom, complete salvation, complete forgiveness is yours for free. He already paid the way for you. And he paid it in full. That's the message that Paul was sent as a messenger to proclaim. But you see, that's why Paul was writing this letter to the Galatians in the first place. Because they were forgetting this message. They were forgetting the gospel. And they were questioning Paul's authority as a messenger of the gospel, as an apostle. And next we see the mess. Paul continues to write to the churches of Galatia. And so this is the sort of second round of introductions. Uh, We've met Paul, but who are the Galatians? Who are the churches of Galatia? We already know... Uh, that Paul was sent by Jesus himself to carry this message, to carry his name before the Gentiles. And so that's exactly what Paul did. Uh, That's exactly what he did. He would travel around to the non-Jewish world, to the Gentile world, and he would preach the gospel, and people would come to know Jesus, and he would start churches there, like our church. And one of the areas that he did this in was the area of Galatia. He preached the gospel to them, and started churches there, and then he moved on to do the same thing elsewhere. And everything seemed to be going well until it wasn't anymore. 
After Paul left, there came this group of teachers, uh, and, and they're often called the, the Judaizers. The Judaizers, they were this group of people that claimed uh, to believe in and follow Jesus. They claimed to be a part of the church, but they also uh, tried to add things to the gospel as being necessary for us to be in right relationship with God. Uh, they came and told the Galatians that, that Paul, in preaching a gospel of free forgiveness and free salvation in Christ, he was only half Right. They came in and, and told the Galatians that if you really want to be totally saved and made right and right standing with God, you need to trust in Jesus, yes, but then you also have to do these extra things. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat the right kind of foods. You need to follow this particular calendar and all these other things that had been abolished from the Mosaic Covenant. These you all have to do if you want to be in right relationship with God. And this was, this was a very different message from the message that Paul had preached to them. Paul had preached a message, of he preached a gospel of free salvation, free forgiveness, a message that says we are justified, that we are declared righteous, that we are put in right standing with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And so naturally, the Galatians are wondering what the deal is about the difference in these messages. And so the Judaizers tell them that Paul is not really an apostle, and that he doesn't really have the authority to speak on behalf of Jesus, and that they don't really have to believe everything that he has said. And this is why Paul writes this letter to the Galatian churches. This is why he's so fervent and passionate, and why he gets straight to the point. He cuts to the chase, defending his apostleship in the first several verses of this letter. This is why he's so passionate about defending his apostleship, as we'll see in the weeks to come. Too. Paul is, is not defending his apostleship because he doesn't want to be out of the job. He's, he's not defending his apostleship because he wants to keep this position of power and authority. Paul is so passionate about defending his apostleship to the Galatians because if they don't believe that Paul's an apostle with the authority to speak for Christ, then they won't believe the gospel that he preached to them. And if they don't believe the gospel that he preached to them, then they are not in right relationship with God. And if they are not in right relationship with God, then they are still in their sins. And if they are still in their sins, then they are enslaved and dead in sin and facing eternal judgment as such. You know, and I wonder, I wonder if we have the same kind of concern for others that they come to know Jesus. One of the things that we see from Paul in this letter is we're going to go through this letter is that he is in anguish about what's going on with the Galatians. He is being tormented and is in pain over their denial of the gospel. Do we, do we know anything about that? Do we, do we feel the weightiness of the reality that we all have family members, we have children and siblings and parents and spouses that don't know Christ? Do we feel the weightiness of the reality that we have neighbors and friends that don't know the hope and freedom that we've been given in Christ? Do you feel the weightiness of the reality that your coworkers, people you spend 40 plus hours a week with, they don't know Christ? The most important thing for anybody and everybody is that they be reconciled to the one true God. Being in broken relationship with him is our biggest problem in this life and in the life to come. And it's also the source of all other problems that we face in life. 
but being reconciled to him, being put in right relationship with him through Jesus is the only way of freedom, the only way to life, the only way to be what it is we were made to be. Do we get that? This is the most crucial and an essential thing for all of us, for everyone we meet. Apart from being made alive and free in Christ, we're dead and enslaved in sin. Paul understands that. That's why he's in anguish here. That's why he's writing to them. That's why he's seeking to persuade them to believe in the gospel and to submit to his apostleship. That's why he's praying for them and standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ because the freedom and life of the Galatians is at stake here. This letter's not coming from a man that's eager to keep his job, but rather it's coming from a man who's been so apprehended by the message of the gospel that he's willing to fight tooth and nail to see it proclaimed and believed. He's, so, he's been so apprehended by the message of the gospel in this book that he's willing to get involved in the mess of the Galatians that they've gotten themselves into and to lovingly correct and shepherd them so that they experience the freedom of free salvation. Which brings us to our last point about the message, the letter to the Galatians. You can pick it up in verse 3. This is the salutation of the letter, uh, but it's also a summary of the message proclaimed in the letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out with grace. He doesn't start with straighten up Galatians, not, not get it together Galatians, not pick yourselves up by your bootstraps Galatians. He starts with grace. And it has to start there, doesn't it? He starts with grace. The Christian faith is not one in which we believe that we can earn our right standing with God. We cannot earn our right standing before him. If there's, we don't believe that there's any amount of good works that will make us acceptable to God. We don't believe that, that, that we do our best and God does the rest. That's not what we believe. If, if God accomplished 99.99999% of our salvation and we had to do the rest, we would still mess it up. We can't do it. It has to be all grace and only grace or the gospel is nothing at all. The only thing that we bring to the table in our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Our right relationship, our relationship with God is one of receiving, not giving. There's not one thing that we can give to Him to justify ourselves before Him. It's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, or we're finished. The sin in us is too deep, too widespread. We're too infested with it for us to make ourselves acceptable to Him. But He gives grace. He gives grace. Because He gives grace, we also have peace then. Peace comes from grace. Because Jesus gives us grace, we have peace with God. Because we're in Christ, before we're in Christ, we are at war with God as rebels and traitors. He created us for his glory and purposes, but we rebelled against his good purposes, committed cosmic treason against our creator and king. But in the gospel of grace, all is well. We are given peace with God. And then not only peace with God, but peace in our consciences. We're going to quote Luther's commentary 
on Galatians a lot during this series, and this is what Luther said about the peace we receive within from grace. These two words, grace and peace, include all that belong to Christianity. Grace releases sin, and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two fiends that torment us are sin and conscience, but Christ has vanquished these two monsters and has trodden them underfoot both in his life, in this life, and in the life to come. And so everyone is on a quest to find this peace. Everyone is on a quest to find this rest in the quieting of their conscience, but it cannot be found anywhere but in Christ. It cannot be found anywhere but in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There are no laws that you can obey. There are no works that you can perform. There are no ceremonies that you can take part in to ease your conscience and give you peace. It has to be the grace of Jesus and the grace of Jesus alone that will give you peace in your conscience. But then grace not only gives us peace with God, and peace in our consciences, it also gives us peace with one another. When we're given grace, we're freed from having to prove ourselves or compare ourselves or defend ourselves or from thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're free from having to put on masks and putting our defenses up. We're free to know and be known by one another in a real and true way. We don't have to hide our sin and our inconsistency and our unrighteousness from one another. We see later that there are divisions, there are feuds going on between the Galatians. No wonder when you don't rest in grace, you don't have the peace of a quiet conscience and the defenses go up, the masks go on, you start comparing yourself to others and you compare your family to other families and your children to other children. Instead of believing that we are all broken sinners and recipients of grace, you have to prove yourself and make yourself good enough, and that causes division. But peace, grace gives us peace with God and our consciences and with one another. How much better is the gospel of grace and peace than that? We, we have to have grace or we have no peace with God, no peace in our consciences, no peace with one another. We have to have deliverance from sins and from this present evil age, or we have none of it. But then we move on. How does this grace and this peace come to us? Can't God simply overlook our sin? He can't. He's too holy. He's too good. He's too pure to simply act as if our sins never existed. Rather, in his wisdom and power and love, he has made it so that sinners can be forgiven their sin and he still remain the just and glorious God that he is. Look at this next part of the verse. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself for our sins so that we could be given grace and peace. Calvin says of this particular verse, he wanted to tell the Galatians straight out 
that atonement for sins and perfect righteousness are not to be sought anywhere but in Christ. For he offered himself to the Father as a sacrifice, and he was such an offering as we must not try to match it with any other satisfactions. So glorious is this redemption that it should ravish us with wonder. Church, we have nothing to add to the perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. It is finished. It is done. He gave himself up in all of his perfection and beauty and goodness for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took the justice that we deserve upon himself on the cross so that we could be recipients of the grace and peace we just talked about. So how does this grace and peace come to us? It comes to us through the the, the grace and cross of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. Now we're running out of time, so we should probably close. But as we close, I, I simply want to point out that, that all of this, this gospel of free and total salvation, this grace and peace that we are given by God alone so that God would be glorified. It's all so that God would be glorified. You may have noticed that during our time together, we didn't like have anything to do. We weren't given anything to do. There's no practical tidbits, no things to obey, no things to implement when you get home. And on the one hand, that's because there's nothing in the text that uh, would require us to do that. If you've been around for any amount of time, you might notice that we stay pretty close to the text. But from a little bit of a different perspective, we weren't given things to do this morning, and there aren't things for us to do in this text because it's not about what we do. It's not about us at all. It's about our triune God. It's about the glory of the Father uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at the last portion of our text here this morning. It says, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So why does it have to be all grace? It has to be all grace because God deserves all the glory. Why does the work of Jesus have to be all sufficient? Why do we get none of the credit and our salvation? Because the glory belongs to God and to God alone. That's why. If we bring something to the table in this relationship, we deserve some of the glory. We deserve some of the credit. But if our triune God and our triune God alone accomplishes this great salvation, this great rescue, then God alone gets the praise and the worship and the glory due his holy name in response for this great rescue. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. God the Father is the one that planned this wonderful rescue plan. God the Son, Jesus, he's the one who made this full and sufficient sacrifice for our sins according to the will of God the Father. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. God the Father and God the Son accomplished our full and wonder salvation and they apply it to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all glory goes to our triune God. If it's all his work from beginning to end, which is the message of Galatians, then all the glory, all the honor, all the majesty belong to him. This is why grace and peace comes to us. It's all about the grace, the peace, the great rescue, the glory of our triune God. 
And so as we close, what do we do? I would invite us to simply conclude in the way that the Apostle Paul does in our text. We say amen. We say amen to all that God has done for us in Christ. In fact, that's the only way into the story of grace. We don't enter in by our works. We don't enter in by our wisdom or our smarts. We don't enter in by bringing something to the table. We enter with empty hands with voices that say amen. We enter in by receiving what God has done for us in Christ. We enter in naked to be clothed by Christ. We enter in hungry and thirsty to be fed by Christ. We enter in cold and distraught to find refuge in Christ and in Christ alone. That's the message of Galatians. And that's what we're going to come back to over and over and over again in the months to come. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. It's not about us. It's not about what we do for God. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about Christ. We die to self so that we might live in him. We die to our righteousness and are freely given his. This is the only path to true freedom and true life. That's the message of Galatians. That's what Paul was so eager for the Galatians to believe. That's the message that they had begun to deny. And that's the message that we're going to cling to and hear in the months to come. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for grace. We're thankful for the finished work of Jesus. We're thankful that we don't have anything else to add, that it is finished, it is done. Would you help us to live as if it's finished and done? Would you help us to live as if Christ is sufficient, because he is sufficient. Lord, our sin, the the evil of this present age, is that we don't live as if it's done. We live as if we have to earn our righteousness and our status before you. And so our desperate need is to rest in you, to rest in Christ, to believe you, to die to self so that we might live in Christ. Would you help us now to do that? Lord, we need you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen.